This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to this week's episode of Brown's Film Breakdown, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, coming at you guys as your host um, here on, on Friday morning into Friday evening and the weekend, whenever you do get time to listen to this podcast. I'm not sure where your life is in terms of what's going on. You could be quarantined in your home um, and haven't left, as some folks I know um, are currently operating in. There's folks like me whose job is still operating at a minimum capacity and shifting possibly to working from home. I don't know where you're at. The um, The world is in a weird place. I shouldn't say the world. It's not all of the world. A good portion of the world, I guess, is in a, uh, you know, is in a strange place. And obviously the United States and specifically Ohio, where I come to you from, are in a situation that's constantly evolving, right? You're in a situation where Things are slowing down, more things shutting down day by day. Just tonight, here on Thursday night when I'm recording this, Pennsylvania and California seem to have shut down, ceased all operations of non-essential jobs, or California, which has pretty much locked down the entire state, um, mandating that nobody can really leave their homes. I'm sure there are specifics. People need some things here and there, but it's scary. I don't know. It's a weird time. You you probably have your own opinion, and that's fine on this situation, but I do know that we've never seen anything quite like it. I'm only 31. Some of you who listen to this may be older. You may have seen something like it. I'm not sure. I have not seen anything quite like it. It's it's unique. I'm not going to hinge on this whole thing and you know build from here and spend a ton of time on it, but I do think it's important <laughs> to at least recognize the weirdness, the awkwardness, the, the severity, too, of the situation. So, um, we will see where my life situation takes us with, with operating from home. We're doing the best we can with our two-year-old here. We're trying to entertain him as best we can and keep him occupied. His mom's a hairdresser. She's home uh, with him all day right now trying to find uh, activities. So for you parents out there who are trying to find things to keep your little ones occupied, I empathize. It's not it's not easy right now. It's tough and it's different and uh, it doesn't seem to be like this is going to get better anytime soon in terms of uh, getting back to normal function of life. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you in the struggle. And um, the good thing is, for the most of us out there, we're healthy. We can remain healthy. And um, this won't attack our, our age group. But, you know, keep in mind the folks that this is impacting and the potential liability that you could have going around them. That's important to understand, too. And, and take this take this seriously, because I think it is extremely serious. It's obviously impacted the country, obviously impacted other countries. Um, sitting here next to the window, which is howling here late at night. I, I apologize if you guys can hear this, but such is the life of the broke podcaster who doesn't have people to always 
take care of sound editing and all that stuff. I do all this on my own. Blue Wire offers it. Great company. They offer it, but I, I try to do it on my own because I have to record at wonky hours. So um, if you can hear the window or, or liabilities from the window or whatever, I apologize. It's it's uh, it's going to be a little bit of a nuisance. But I do want to talk to you guys about where the Browns are in free agency. It has been a quick moving process. Obviously, you're aware of, of most of the signings by now and um, where they sit, obviously, some deals made quickly, right? The first move, Austin Hooper wrote about Austin Hooper, uh, his his four-year deal, which I think is um, interestingly built. It seems like, based on what Over the Cap is reporting, that it is a backloaded deal, which is interesting that it allows the Browns to have immediate flexibility. I have an opinion on that in terms of why they would put so much money at the end of the contract. I think the Browns know they have a lot of holes to fill right now, which is evident by their approach in free agency. And with those holes, they are trying to use as much money as they can to plug them. And Hooper sort of having a backloaded deal that the Browns figure by the time Hooper's money, a good majority of the money is due, he uh, or the, the, this front office will have had a chance to sort of operate in the draft and do the things that they need to do in the draft and feel confident about the guys they have on rookie contracts. So it uh, could free up some money down the line that, that makes you know Austin Hooper's contract more um I guess appetizing maybe is the word, or, or palatable, I'm not sure. But anyway, a uh, good player. He's not a fantastic uh, athlete like you would presume, um, not even presume, but, but George Kittle would be in that ilk, and uh, the versatility of Travis Kelsey, um, th- those types of guys that are, uh, you know, I, I think you would put them in the elite tier of tight ends, among others. Uh, Zach Ertz is one of them, too. Hooper's sort of a tier below that in terms of just sheer athletic ability, doesn't really cut in and out of cuts, I, I would say, is, is, is great as some of the other tight ends who separate really well. But he's very solid, right? He's 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 not a burner, but he's he knows how to operate in zones and sit down in the right coverages. And he can he can make plays. I mean, the ball's in the air. He's going to go get it. The thing I like about him most is that uh, he's, he's a very reliable hands-catching tight end. He does not drop many passes. His catch rate is extremely solid. He can go up and get it. He's third in the league in contested catches over the last two years and um, is going to be a very reliable target for Mayfield up the seams, and that's what I tried to write about over at the OBR. If you had a chance to check out that article, is he does a nice job of controlling the field. Um, at least he did in Atlanta, the middle of the field, and I think he'll do similar here in Cleveland because I think Mayfield really likes to use his tight ends up the seams. I think that's a big part of his style dating back to his time at Oklahoma, and I've always thought the Browns should build a uh, tight end you know, system that is around him that he can use those guys because he has a comfort in tight ends. So I'm really excited to see how Hooper pairs with Njoku. You get a guy who has really solid hands. Not as good an athlete as Njoku. He doesn't look, you know, he's not one of the first guys off the bus like David is in terms of just sheer God-given ability, but he is very fundamentally solid. He blocks well enough. Not a fantastic blocker, but a, a blocker who blocks well enough and will do fine in this Um you know, this zone scheme that Kevin Stefanski brings in. He'll be more of a Y, which by that, what I mean by a Y tight end is that he's going to have his hand in the dirt, uh, be that inline three-point stance tight end, while Njoku's maybe a guy who's off the ball, motioning um, wing to wing or in the slot, that kind of stuff. So when they play a lot of 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, two running backs, you'll see them feature both of those guys. So I think you should be excited about that signing, even though it reset the market, which, you know, doesn't mean Hooper's the best uh, skill set player. You know, at the at the position, obviously there are better players, but he's still only 25, very young. The market set up for him to capitalize on this opportunity, and and the deal really wasn't as as severe as some uh, analysts thought it could be. And I think it, it can be very palatable if he can get the production. I think Baker will give him opportunities to do so. 
So, um, you know, I'm not going to knock that deal. It's on the side of I like it, and I think it makes sense for them. Given where the tight end class is in general coming out, I think it makes a lot of sense for them. So uh, Hooper's a good deal. I, I think it'll I think it'll work out for everybody involved and um, especially help their quarterback continue to find comfort here in Cleveland. Jack Conklin's the next signing kind of came later, uh, but the other big name that signed here relatively early and especially good deal for Cleveland. I wrote about him today at the OBR. If you've not had a chance to check that out, I wrote about all aspects, what I like about him um, in the run game, what I like about him in the pass game, play action, all of that. Some issues I have with him, sort of where he he's able to handle bull rush uh, stuff. I think gets a little too top heavy sometimes. Some things to clean up, but he's going to work with a fantastic offensive line coach and and uh, Bill Callahan, and I think it's going to be an effective tool for him. You know, I kind of have had this conversation with a couple people, but it's, it's this feels similar in a sense to me to Mitchell Schwartz, who obviously left Cleveland after his rookie deal, signs with Kansas City, and has taken his game to a whole new level. Schwartz has been very consistent. I think Conklin has been consistent when he's healthy, and I think there's some parallels there where uh, where Conklin could become an even better um, you know, offensive lineman and even even one of the league's premier right tackles. People forget that he was an all-pro his rookie year, was having a pretty solid follow-up sophomore year when things can get a little challenging for second-year players, and then he tears his ACL in the divisional round and, you know, comes back probably too soon, came back. You know, you got to think that's January. He came back off of that torn left ACL, played week four, and then played through the year, did not perform all too well. If any of you have ever torn an ACL or had a severe injury in your lower body, especially with linemen where there are things just flying around you, it can get a little dangerous and it can get a little nerve-wracking from a from a mental standpoint of, of just sort of trusting everything and trusting that your legs aren't going to get taken out you know athletes talk about that all the time it takes it takes well over a year to get your confidence back in your knee and your leg and all of it so in an uneven sophomore year for Conklin he, he misses the end of that uh, 2018 um, misses the end of this would be his third year he misses the end of that year kind of battling another soreness injury issue didn't have surgery but he needed to miss the last three games and comes back in 2019 and Tennessee decides to decline his um decline his his fifth year option which was interesting is sort of like a a chance for them to maybe work something out or they just didn't know if they had a diminishing skill lineman who has these leg injuries and couldn't play well Conklin has a good year pretty solid year uh, by his standards is was was I would consider him to have a good year and uh, Tennessee just kind of gets outpriced and Cleveland steps in and gets an under the value expected number on him a three-year deal which I think 30 million of that is guaranteed and I think they did well here I think they did well on both sides you know Conklin is a really good zone running um, zone blocking uh, player especially for this wide zone scheme he's I think he pro football focus tracked him as the third best um, you know wide zone blocking grade in the past two years which is just phenomenal he does have some issues in true pass sets and how Cleveland keeps them out of those situations especially with potentially another rookie on the left side a tackle will be interesting because that is not Conklin's strong point by any stretch, but very good in play action, and we know this offense is built on wide zone run game and play action. Conklin can get out and run a little bit too, which will be good in screen game and some of their pin pull different sorts of things they do too. So I like that signing. Some people didn't like it. I think they needed to sure up right tackle, and it was a position that was thin in terms of you know sort of the sure things, and Conklin provides an aspect of sure thing that I think is going to be really good for them and uh, provide some stability so they can worry less about Two tackles being rookies, which I always thought was such a dangerous risk, because even one rookie tackle is not something you feel all too comfortable with. But if they are able to take, the, you know, some of the likes of Tristan Wirfs at ten or Andrew Thomas 
uh, it can certainly work, and I, I think that this is a good plan that they put into place, and especially good plan that uh, works for for the Browns because they can get out of that deal um, after just three years, especially when the cap starts to increase, and Conklin can cash in again in free agency, and is, I think he'll just be 28 at that time. And I should mention, too, Austin Hooper, just 25 as well. Hooper's a year younger than George Kittle, believe it or not. Hooper came out really early, 21-year-old as a redshirt sophomore, and Kittle was a late bloomer, came out late from Iowa, I think, at 24. So um, keep in mind, both those guys are young. They're not old veteran players. They're, they're, they're in that young veteran area. The one I did not agree with, and people jumped on me, Case Keenum, they signed to a three-year $18 million deal, $10 million of which is guaranteed, $6 million annual salary. Look, you're, you're not going to love some of you who are, who are, who are table-pounding Baker lovers, and I, I'm a Baker guy too. I, I staked a lot of reputation on his ability to be the first pick and change this franchise, and I still believe that can happen. But I'm just telling you, $6 million is at the upper, upper tier of a backup quarterback. And um, you don't see a ton of teams with quarterbacks that are of the young age that they believe in investing in quarterbacks at this price um, when they're, they're guys young like this. You just don't see it. It's very rare, and this is an expensive figure. Now, I just think, you know, you can say he's got good, good you know, film room etiquette. He's going to help Baker prepare, all that stuff. That's great. Every backup quarterback will help the guy prepare. I mean, it's nice that Case Keenum's seen it. He's performed. But um, this isn't necessarily a scheme that Keenum's run all throughout his career. People confuse that Stefanski is – um, connected to him because of that 2017 run, but that wasn't Kevin Stefanski's offense. That was Pat Shermer's offense, so it was different altogether. So Keenum's going to be kind of readjusting to this offensive scheme to a, to an extent. I mean, he played in it, um, you know, a little bit over his career back with the Texans, but he hasn't played in it a ton, so it'll be very interesting to see how, you know, sort of he fits into this scheme and sort of the things he can parlay to Mayfield. But it tells me it just tells me that the Browns are not 100% behind a belief that Baker is it no matter what. They still have some doubts based on year two, which you can take offense to that or not, but this is what it tells me that if Baker tanks the year, if something goes wrong, that uh, you know that they, they feel like they need to have a plan and have a quarterback who can step in. And yeah, it's great case can play if Baker gets hurt, but he has no injury history. You know, oftentimes you're seeing teams pay for the likes of Teddy Bridgewater, pay for the likes of... Um, these expensive backups who are who are you know in quarterback competitions have a quarterback who's 35 years or older, um, or they're you know they they're they're dealing with a guy who gets injured all the time and or has a you know propensity of getting injured in career. And Baker's not that guy, so I don't think it's wise to invest six million a year in a backup quarterback when a team has so many holes to fill. As you can see, that they've attacked all these holes, and you can say they have so much money to play with, which that's fine to an extent, but the difference between signing a, an average guy and a good guy can be $6 million. So I just don't think Baker, if Baker's who we think he is or who we believe he's going to be, he doesn't need a quarterback like Case Keenum behind him to push him. I'm using air quotes there, whatever. I don't think that that's a necessary piece to the puzzle for him unless you don't believe in him. And I think there's an element there that they're maybe 90% in on what Mayfield is or could be. And you might not agree with that, but I just think that's the fact of the reality is those guys sit around the table in Berea and say, you know, do we believe wholeheartedly that Baker Mayfield's going to be the guy no matter what? And I think there's some doubt there, however small, and they want an insurance policy in case Keenan provides an insurance policy. He's also good if he gets hurt, uh, Baker gets hurt, and he's also a guy 
who, yeah, can help. He can be a leader around him and teach him and talk him through some of the shorter quarterback things and how he finds passing lanes and all that different stuff. So, look, I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan. I get it. I, I'm fine with it. Ultimately, I have no choice but to be fine with it. But it is not a route I would have went when they're pinching pennies to fill as many holes as they can possibly fill when they could use as many dollars as they could you know, conceivably uh, conceivably need here to make all those, th- those ends meet. So, um, We'll leave it at that. You can disagree with me, and that's fine because it's not going to change anything. Next, they signed uh, B.J. Goodson, linebacker who has played with the Giants, which where he was drafted out of. Um, you know, I think he came. I think he came out of Clemson. Giants goes to the Packers. Good run defender, not very effective coverage. A little stiff in that department, but can take on run game stuff. He's going to be a sub linebacker for them. I think he can have a nice role for them sort of playing early downs or teams that they think, such as the Baltimore Ravens, who they think are going to be um, sort of those pass-happy teams and uh, – uh, or sorry, sort of those run-happy teams that they know they have to stop in this division to, to sort of make uh, make their way into hopefully a division title discussion. We'll see. But I think Goodson provides a nice role for them. Don't think he's a three-down linebacker. Nice depth. think he can be good. He's a good special teams guy. But I would not consider – I think uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted it out that it was – um, you know, I think this is the next starting linebacker for the Browns. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all in terms of B.J. Goodson being handed a job. I think Taki Taki and Mac Wilson are going to keep fighting for that job, probably going to sign one more linebacker and draft one or two potentially, probably just one, but they could they could draft two if the value meets the player skill and all that stuff, So, uh, which is good. It can fill a, it can fill a need for them, and that's important because they need, they need you know, with Joe Schobert's departure, they need inside linebacker play, and Goodson can at least provide some of that and provide a nice uh, ability, like I said, against the run, which is important. He's, he's very few missed tackles, and I think that's something that this defense has been uh, sort of struggling with. So uh, we're going to keep talking about who they've signed here. I'm going to talk to you first about uh, Bet Online and what's going on over there in a tough time. So there's no NBA, NHL, college basketball, any of it right now. You'd figure that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you know, you couldn't be more wrong. There's always creative ways in Bet Online. If you are a degenerate gambler, has options for you, right? Uh, from you know, online casino play, they have poker, blackjack, all of that's open 24 hours. All of it's online. Sports aren't totally done. Still mixed martial arts that's happening here and there. Esports is also something that you can bet on if that's something you're into. And if you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, even Nathan's fantastic hot dog eating contest. So be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word there, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. So if you are somebody who needs to gamble through this tough time as we're all stuck at home, you can do that. BetOnline.ag will match your your deposit there 50%. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE. So back to the players at hand. Uh, signing of Carl Joseph, a fun signing. A guy, a lot of people out of West Virginia, very high on 2016 draft. Um, you know, a player. I should mention, too, a guy that a lot of Browns fans were very interested in back in that draft. And the funny thing about Jack Conklin sort of a ipso facto thing going on there with where full circle it comes back. Conklin was actually traded. So the Browns moved back from two to eight with Philadelphia. That ends up being Carson Wentz. They're sending at eight. They move back from eight to 15 with Tennessee. Tennessee comes up and gets Jack Conklin. The Browns take Corey Coleman. History writes itself, but that's kind of funny in retrospect. Anyway, Carl Joseph out of West Virginia talking with John Stephenson, who's all 22 chalk talk, fantastic coach, good Twitter follow. Uh, kind of a Bob Sanders feel, a smaller guy, but he plays hard, he hits hard. 
uh, will play uh, all over the box. It likes to play the run game, can play some free safety. Not a great cover guy. Size isn't great for it, but he runs well, and he can cover, and he can make some acrobatic plays. Um, still on the younger side, a guy who needs to prove it. Another one-year deal, just like B.J. Goodson. Um, a guy who, like I said, is young, ascending in a sense. He can, If he can stay healthy and uh, and play 16 games, which is a big task for him. A lot of Raiders people said he was playing well before he got hurt. Uh, it could be a nice little catch for Cleveland and a guy that they could potentially have around here long term as they look at other safeties. They will continue to look at safeties. Andrew Sandejo was a name that was popped up. A little older veteran player, but nice coverage player. I expect them to add another safety, Von Bell. Haha, Clinton Dix, if he's not overpriced, somebody of that mold um, could potentially. It could, it could even be a cheaper player that you probably haven't heard of that could come up too. But I do like that they address safety so far with one name, Carl Joseph. They will draft one, in my opinion, too. Uh, we'll get there, but that's a good signing. Carl Joseph, good fair signing, and I think it could be good for them. Andrew Billings is the signing earlier today. Good defensive lineman, ascending player, in my opinion. Young guy. Bengals people did not like seeing him go out of Baylor. Uh, had a decent rookie run on his first contract. Not really great. That's why he's looking at a one-year prove-it deal. Has really great, fantastic power-lifting um, body. Is very strong. Uh, I think he set some state records in Texas for powerlifting. I'm not entirely sure, but good athlete, can run really well, just probably needs to refine that technique. I think I've seen some things where he has graded much better as an interior nose tackle instead of more of a three or five technique moving around a little bit. So if they can plug him at nose and swap him out here and there with Larry Ogunjobi and keep those guys fresh, you could see a player who's extremely disruptive. And I think they got a really good deal on Billings. A lot of people really like him. I've liked some of the film I've seen. We'll deep dive on all of these guys at some point, but I'm excited to get to Billings. I think that's a really fun deal. Kevin Johnson, corner that was with um, Houston, then Buffalo just last year. Not a ton of snaps. Is an inside-outside guy, not necessarily committed to one thing. We'll probably do both of those things here in Cleveland, but a guy who has graded well and pro football focus. We'll talk with John Costco here in a little bit. I have a fun interview with him about how their grading process is, is built to, to, to be as accurate as they can, despite you might not agreeing with it all the time. There are aspects of it, I think, that are... Um, pretty phenomenal in terms of getting a lot of eyes on different players and watching every snap, and that's important. I think Kevin Johnson could be a good player for them with that inside-outside capability and um, can be a fun player. I, I think they might still address corner uh, in the draft or in still leading up to and through free agency. They, they, they are not necessarily done with Johnson's – yeah, he can play the slot. He can do some of the nickel things you want him to do, but he's also got outside ability, and they might deem him – somebody better fit to be on the outside. And that gives them the flexibility, too, to move Greedy Williams around a little bit, move Denzel Ward, too. I like the Kevin Johnson signing. And most Bills fans, or smart Bills people I talked to, liked him when he was getting snaps for them last year. JoJo Natson is the last signing that we have seen. Uh, return man uh, with the Rams. He's bounced around the league a little bit. Smaller guy, but very explosive. If you want to learn about him, you can uh, go listen to Steve Prefer before uh, the Rams played, came to Cleveland this past year and how, how scared of him he was, how dangerous he thinks he is. So if you have time to go listen to that, someone sent that to me today. Uh, you can hear just how, how scared Steve Prefer or, uh, you know, Mike Prefer was ahead of that game, you know, kind of fearing what JoJo Natsa can do. So this will be good for the Browns. I think it's smart for them to give uh, return man spanning rosters potentially coming. It's, it's smart them to have a return man who focuses and, handles the role of punt return, kick return, can possibly be a gunner on punt teams, something like that, to, to provide stability to his roster spot. But the Browns need a difference maker at return. 
um, you know, both phases. And I think they found a guy who they can trust and can and can possibly bust off a couple big plays here and there. So things to come. The Browns could continue to add a safety, could continue to add a linebacker. Those two especially, I expect them to add people. Could add another defensive back, whether outside corner or inside corner. I do think they need an edge presence. Maybe somebody like Cam Wake is something to pay attention to, uh, sort of a veteran player who can handle um, – you know, and maybe not a full-time role, but when he does play, he could be explosive. Keep an eye on the veteran edge rush market. I think that that is something they could still attack. Offensively, they're good to go for a while, right? They got everything pretty locked down. They they could potentially handle right guard. Uh, Wyatt Teller, I think, is fine, and I think Drew Forbes can compete with him. I don't think it's a pressing need, but that is something that they could handle right guard. doesn't seem like anybody's going to bid on Kareem Hunt at this point, although I think the Buccaneers would really be good with him in the backfield and how he can catch football for Tom Brady. But that's a different discussion. I don't think there's going to be many changes offensively. They might add another wide receiver. They could get in the mix again for Rashard Higgins. I don't know what his price is going to be run to. I know Buffalo is very interested. We shall see a lot going on. But I do give the the Browns a solid A- minus right now. I like what they're doing with these contracts that are prove-it-based on the defensive side of the ball, guys who show out, and if they end up leaving after showing out, they could be potential comp pick projections, uh, which is always good because then you can, you know, as the cap gets tighter, as some of your big names have to be resigned, you can kind of let these guys go. You signed on one-year deals. If they flourish and get signed by somebody for a bigger contract, you can get some comp picks back and keep your team young, fresh, invigorate new talent. And so that part's exciting to me. I like what they're doing. All guys who seem to be trending upward, not many old names on there. I think they're trying to stay young and get players trying to really prove their worth and buy into a system. So I'm really keen. I really like what Andrew Barry's been able to do so far, but I, I certainly don't think they're done heading into heading into April and then in late April's draft if everything stays on schedule. We'll see. But encouraging stuff, encouraging um, both financially and not overspending on some guys and encouraging the structure of the deals too. And I like I like the players they're bringing in, which is obviously important as well in terms of their ability and, and the fit in both coordinators' uh, style of system, which is, which is important. So um, coming up next, we have an interview with John Costco. I know John's been on this podcast several times. I know he's been on Locked on Browns, many others. He's a smart guy. He does a lot of Browns work. All the quarterback charting at Pro Football Focus goes through him. He does a great job with it. And um, and I, I, I just think he knows their system. He knows what they're looking for and has really good opinions based on the data. And I think the data is important. I think your eyes have to see things, but the data is important too. And, um, you know, John's one of the best ones out there. So I asked him some tough questions about Pro Football Focus and why if you don't believe in them, what you should think. I think it's interesting, it's interesting to hear his answer um, to you know some of those questions, and then we chat about the whole thing. I want to do here is is how the Browns improve at each position. So we talked to quarterback. This was before this was back on Monday. So before the Browns even signed Case Keenum, we chatted about potential backup options, and I'm sure Case came up. And then we talked about maybe a draft walk on walk on. This isn't college, a uh, undrafted free agent type to keep an eye on too. So uh, talking about how the Browns get better at quarterback all around, how the coaching improves, all of that stuff sort of cultivated and we will uh we'll keep this up we'll keep you know we'll talk running backs we'll talk every position group about how they get better leading into the draft and i hope you guys enjoy this so let's let's get over to our interview with john costco okay welcoming in john costco pro football focus how you doing john Doing great, Jake. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Good. Staying hibernated, locked in the house, looking outside, trying to stay, um, you know, as, as far away from people as we can to an extent. I know it's not, it's probably not that bad yet, but we're trying to keep, uh, 
you know everybody's safe. Running out of movies, that's for sure. But uh, you know, you know, how's the family? Yeah, we're we're doing well. We have video games and and movies, and we you know we live in a you, know, you still can go to a park or whatever where it's just like straight across the street, like literally across the street where it's never busy. So like there might be two people there or something like that. And we if we do stuff like that, we're uh, we're conscient. We've always been conscientious about just keeping our family clean sure. and stuff like that. Where we, my wife is the biggest germaphobe, so she always has uh, extra Lysol on hand and uh is always wiping stuff down uh, regardless of this time so it's not even a really much of a change in terms of what we are able to do but uh you know we uh we we have uh so you know we we're good to go for for a while if this uh this holds out yeah make sure if you guys haven't go to the grocery store uh you probably should have gone like five days ago when this podcast releases but nonetheless it's crazy <laughs> it was the longest grocery store line i've ever sat in trying to get just some simple stuff and um, and we went to Costco. It was nuts, oh, man. Oh, man. My sister it, sent me a picture of the one here in Columbus, and it was like, it was the, the lines were down the middle through, like, that back to the meat sack. It's crazy. It's, and crazy. it's one of, so it's one of those things where most most people are going to be fine. Like, like people our age, you know, yeah. and I'm 34, um, you know, people our age are going to be fine. If we, even if you get, get the, the virus, uh, obviously you just have to stay you know, not spread it. You have to, you know, but if you get it, you're not going to, it's very unlikely that you're going to die as the, the average death is 80 years old. So it's not, I'm not, obviously this podcast isn't about the, the coronavirus and stuff like that, but, uh, uh, just, just know that, you know, the younger population is very unlikely to, to really be affected by it. So, yeah, I think you got to be responsible, responsible Ex- about who, you, who you're being around. And if you're, if you're aching for a sport that you want to play, that you normally play, listen, go play golf. If you can get out and you'd only touch your own clubs and your own golf ball and, and um, you know, if the weather's turning like it is here in Ohio, maybe wherever you're at, I, I think golf can be something that you can do to get out and be active and stay out on the outside, but it's isolated away from people. That's Jake's suggestion of the day. Get out and play golf if you have a hankering to get out of the house. So, listen, I brought John on not to talk about coronavirus, something that unfortunately we're going to talk about because it's so prevalent and it's an unparalleled thing that we haven't seen in this country in terms of what they're asking us to do and where it might be going over the next two weeks. But we're going to talk about the Browns. That's uh, the point of this Browns Film Breakdown podcast. And um, this next uh, kind of venture I want to take as free agency may start, maybe not starting, you know, this upcoming week. We'll have to see how that shakes out. But but I want to talk about how the Browns improve each position group going into, um, you know, going into 2020. And there are some that need help more than others. I understand that. But we're not going to neglect anything. And we're going to chit-chat about some of these positions that the Browns need, um, you know, to, to at least take a look at. And I start with quarterback because everything starts with quarterback and it works its way through the offense. And um, you know, I think John's a great person to ask, and I think they do fantastic work at Pro Football Focus, charting quarterback play, accuracy numbers, not just accurate or not, but looking at where the ball is in terms of accuracy on a wide receiver's frame. I think that's important. It gives context to accuracy. It gives context to wide receiver catching ability. All of those things are important. Before we start, though, John, I want to ask you, you know, I've been following you guys at Pro Football Focus for a while now. Um, five years or so. I think you do great work. It's really hard to take um, your concept and apply it to 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 everybody. I mean, I, I when I was playing uh, at high school, we did not have this, but when I got to college, I was really 
kind of blown away by the idea of grading my performance in a game. You know, as a as a quarterback getting a, you know an eighty eighty three point five and understanding why that grade was was reached. And I'm I'm pretty positive that my old school college quarterback coach didn't grade the way you guys do. But I'm curious as to like a fan. So I'm a fan, and I am. I'm seeing that Baker Mayfield had a 77.3 grade for the year or whatever it is. I'm just throwing a number out there. Like, should people – let me ask you this. It's kind of a broad question. Why, why should people trust the grade you're giving guys and believe that it is a justifiable tool to talk about a player, good or bad? Is that a fair question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, I will never claim to be perfect, but one of the things that we do is that we watch and grade every single player every snap every snap of the season and we've done that since 2006 so and it and we're we stick to these you know we have a, a strict you know guideline of how we grade these players and what constitutes a positive what can constitutes a negative and what what constitutes you you, ex, you executed your assignment as expected uh so when when baker mayfield is throwing a pass you know if he could if he Maybe if maybe he has a game where he completes 18 for 22 passes, and which he's had uh, in his rookie year, um, that was one of his highest graded games. But the reason why he he was one of his highest graded games is because he was making plays downfield. So the difference between a completing a screen pass versus a a 20 yard pass, you know, 20 yard post or something like that, that's a much more difficult throw to make that post. Whereas a screen pass, you expect to be able to complete that. So an expected throw to complete a screen pass. You know, you'd be getting like a zero grade on that. Whereas the when you complete that that post, granted, like you're you're beating good coverage with an accurate throw, you're likely getting maybe a plus one type throw. Um, so we 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 look at that and it's like, hey, that was obviously a much more valuable throw that Baker made. Um, anybody that watches the game can can recognize that. Like he made a, a fantastic throw on that. Same same with like that one to Jarvis Landry against the Panthers, whereas. You know, he like basically threaded the needle 50 yards down down the field. You know, that's getting a big that's a big time throw. We graded as such. Uh, whereas, you know, if he gets a 50 yard touchdown because he he dumped it off to Nick Chubb in the screen and Nick Chubb did all the work, we're grading Nick Chubb really positively for all the work that he was able to do. But Baker doesn't get that that positive grade. And we're doing that type of stuff for every single position, and we've done that for for you know since 2006. And it's not just we. Oh, we, we're just slapping these grades on because we thought it was. We we've had serious input from NFL teams, NFL players. Uh, you know, our punt grade calculator uh, was was developed with I can't remember who the I think it was a uh, it was one of the it was, it was a it was a punter. We had had very good input from from you know an NFL punter to be able to make sure hey when we're in this position and we're you know we're trying to kick it to this area you know we you need to get this X amount of hang time and. Uh, you know, you can't get it too close to the end zone. Otherwise, it's it, very likely to bounce into the end zone. Uh, so we, it, not, it doesn't matter. It goes from the quarterback all the way to the punter and the kickers. We're grading every single one of these these plays that these players play on. And we're not going to be perfect. We're, you know, we have the, the advantage of being able to use the all 22 of the coaches film uh, to be able to review these. And we have uh, stringent review guidelines and, and processes that go into place and, you know, double checking processes and everything like that. But, um, you know, that, and I think that's why, and, and every single NFL team, you know, pays for our services and 76 college teams pay for our services as well as I think, uh, five, five or six, uh, CFL teams. But, um, you know, if the NFL teams trust us, I think that the, 
you know, the fans should should really kind of trust us. And um, it's not the end all be all. It's a grade that you look at. Hey, why did this guy grade at this? And you can go back to study the tape and you can see, you know, maybe all the positive plays that the guy made and uh, the lack of negatives or something like that. So, you know, that's why, uh, you know, I think that people uh, could could buy into PFF and and what we're saying and we're never going to be perfect and it's not a it's not a talent grade it's a production grade so like you know if one year that um you know if one year that the you know Odell Beckham Jr everybody knows that he's super talented you know but he had a down year down year last year so he he didn't get the the positive grades that he normally gets um so uh it's it's a production grade it's not a talent grade we're not we're not judging them on on their releases or something like that. And what does he actually contribute to the, uh, the winning aspect of the game? Yeah. I mean, for me, I got to say, I'm I'm a big fan of, of the process of grading players multiple times, not just one person putting a grade on and then it goes through and publication puts it out there. It's multiple people taking a look at this thing to see if, you know, if then, if somebody missed something or somebody's grading somebody too favorably, I think that is something that's very important. A lot of people who do good work, a lot of people who invest a lot of time into things, but they don't let another person get their eyes on what they're seeing. And then it can become a bias thing. And I think that doesn't necessarily happen um, with with bad intentions, but it can happen. Biases can happen unchecked. They can happen without knowing. And, and um, yeah. you know, you formulate an, an opinion of a player at a part in his career, and then you just want to kind of back up that opinion with data, and that can skew things. So I think you have to have multiple people checking things, going through a rigid process. And I think that's one of the things that I like about what you guys do at Pro Football Focus. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't – but another thing, when we have people grading and reviewing, we don't – you know, I'm never just going – you know, I'm not never charged with. All right, you're going to be reviewing the Browns this year. You know, you can, you can. I'm always moving over to different teams, and then even, even after I've maybe reviewed a game, you know, I, like there's other people that can go in there and look at it. You know, you, you're not, you can't get away with. We can't get away with being biased for certain players because the NFL teams have this data. We, they, they look at it and they can go. Well, why is this guy constantly getting point fives for the same throws that this guy's making as zeros? It doesn't happen because we we would lose all credibility. And and so, right, we have we have multiple different review processes and 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 steps to make sure that that doesn't happen. And um, you know, and the way it would set up, you just follow the the grading guidelines with what we do, and there's going to be. Uh, there's no bias that can come into it. So even if I did grade the Browns every single week, there would there's no way I'd be able to get the bias in it because of you know I just follow the guidelines. You know I'd be I'd be fair and and on on the team and um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be harsh or or uh, you know generous to eat on either side because I, that's just I would get I would get fired if I did that because. That's just the way that is. Sure, and I and I and I know there are plays in the game, guys, where you'll watch and you'll think that that was an acceptable uh, decision that a player makes. Like I know several times I would ask throughout last year and the year before, I'd ask John, like, "Hey, um, you know this throw from Mayfield? Did you guys grade it negatively? What are you seeing?" Uh, that sort of thing, and I th- I think you and I have had some banter back and forth on you know this is why we graded it this way. We actually took it up to have somebody right Bruce Kurkowski right who was with you guys yeah. would would review some of those things and make some decisions. So you have some some good quarterback minds working through these things, and and like you said, the thing that I enjoy too is it's it's not an ultimate you know it's not an ultimate thing. You guys will admit that there is some subjectivity to it. Sometimes you are saying I think this happened, and it's not. 
I know necessarily all the time. You have a good feel. You play football, you know about 95% of what's going on and why guys are doing it. But there are some things that we don't know. Maybe a coach on the sideline asks a player to do something different than what you know is suggested. Or there's middle ground, and you guys don't you don't say our way is perfect. Uh, or our, sorry, our grade is the perfect answer. I think you guys do, like you said, you, you're not perfect, but you do a really good job of getting as close as you can to perfection. And I think that's why, and listen, I'm not trying to sell pro football focus stock, stock markets down um, uh, in general. I'm just trying to tell you guys, like so many of you use it when you discuss players on social media. And I think it's important to know why it can be a justifiable piece of an argument you make. Yeah, there's more to it. You want to watch the film for yourself and you want to get a feel for a player like, you know, you know, trust your own eyes. But there are also really smart football guys doing this for you and are putting a grade on it that's in the ballpark of being very good. And I think you should take that into account. So look, I just wanted to get that opinion from John. I think it's important that people understand where they're coming from. He he summarized it extremely well. And, um, you know, there's not a... Uh, you know, I guess pompous nature about the whole thing. They're trying to do best by the league. The league believes in what they're doing, and I think you guys should believe in the in the in the data that they're putting out as well. So we'll shift. We're going to to look at how the Browns improve their quarterback situation. Look, Baker Mayfield's the starter. He's entrenched as the starter. Um, he needs to be better. Uh, John and I have talked about this on this podcast before. How he needs to be better and why he needs to be better. And, um, you know, I'll throw this to you, John. How, how does he – scheme aside, scheme's going to help. It should help. It, it, it's helped almost every quarterback that's played in the scheme. I think that's going to be a part of things. But what is what is Baker – and we won't spend much time on this, and I want to talk about some other things with the quarterback situation. But what does Baker need to do, as best you can summarize, from, from year two to year three to, to be better? I think he just needs to put in the work because he has the talent. And I think it's more just a mindset thing. And it, it, it felt like to me last year that he didn't put in the work needed uh, going into his second year like he did going into his rookie year. Right? You know, going to your rookie year, like you're constantly, obviously the draft process and everything like that, you have to put in the work because you're obviously trying to show off for, for NFL teams to get drafted. And then as a rookie, you're still not even a, a sure thing. Um, and so he had to put in the work in, in the summer and after getting drafted. But uh, and I think that his play showed that and as a rookie, uh, why, you know, that how much that hard work paid off for him, especially in the second half of the year when things were going well. Um, and then everything kind of unraveled, you know, he got married, which is, you know, I'm not going to take, you know, great. He got married. That's a big giant event that takes away from being able to put in the work. Uh, so he's not getting married this off season. Uh, all he has this off season is, to really just to get down uh, and work at his craft, get better, improve his footwork. He's got to be able to start reading defenses better, recognizing what defenses are showing them in pre-snap and uh, be able to anticipate post-snap, you know, and to be able to, uh, you know, throw the ball accurately, which is something he he didn't do last year. So, um, you know, I I think I think the biggest thing for him, like I said, is just putting in that work, uh, but then getting back to what he knows and how, how to play. Um, you know, st- having those clean dropbacks, uh, better footwork and uh, and more defined reads for himself because of knowing, recognizing, hey, you know, I, I got to be looking at, you know, X, Y and Z instead of just going out there and going, all right, I'm going to play ball type stuff. Right. Because once you get put in that work, you can just play ball. Yeah. Uh, but you, as a rookie, you can't, or, you know, as a, a young player, especially in a quarterback position, you can't just play ball. It's a, it's a, it is a lot of a mind game thing. Right. So. Um, we've got to get it to a point where you can just play ball. You saw how Patrick Mahomes 
Um, there was that video that surfaced where he's like, I didn't know how to read defenses, but he was always constantly putting in the work and he was able to figure it out. And then he was able to, to, you know, really turn it on, uh, especially after coming back from that injury. So it's, it's, you know, I think he can get there and I absolutely think he can get there. He has the talent. So, um, just putting in work, I think is the biggest thing for him. Yeah. I think, I think you're right about the fact that, uh, the situation, his his mindset, his focus should all be in the right direction. You know, it's it's a better staff around him. You know, Stefanski's done well with quarterbacks his last few years. Van Pelt comes over having done some good things. O'Shea is a passing game coordinator. He's going to be working with a lot of, I just would say, better professional coaches that will be around him to help him. The wide receiver talent will be fine around him. The scheme will be better around him. Uh, there's no reason to believe that Baker won't be better. Does that mean ultimately he's better? I don't know. You know, you never know with these things. A guy can, he could come out and tank this year. I'm not expecting it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there is a world where he just doesn't play well again and they have to consider other options or they got to start looking in certain directions. And that's why I think that, that, uh, who they select as their backup is going to be interesting to me, and, and and the price tag and all of that. I mean, I I am not a believer in paying backup quarterbacks very much money because I just think that most of the veterans who stick around are um, good guys. They're 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 guys that in a quarterback room can be valuable. They've seen a lot of scenarios. They've seen a lot of things. They're going to help a young guy to an extent. You don't you don't keep getting roles as a backup quarterback without some aspect of leadership and some aspect of of understanding of how schemes work and defenses work and all that stuff, you typically just don't quite have the ability needed to be a starter on a regular basis. There are some rare exceptions like McCown, who's just above and beyond and does great stuff. And I think Fitz, Fitzpatrick obviously is is somebody who's unique in his ability to come in and be a, a starter when you need him to be. But like for the most part, these guys are interchangeable. But I think the Browns are in a peculiar situation where their talent might dictate they need somebody a little bit more um, able to handle things behind Baker just in case because you don't know where this is going. So, like, where are you at with it, John? Do you think they need to go get somebody and invest in somebody like Case Keenum that they can they can at least put on the field with a, 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 a shred of respect about what he could do for them? Or do you think they just need to, to fill that role with somebody, a, a warm body? What do you think? Well, I think uh, you, you're right. You, you've got to put bring in a veteran that can maybe show him the ro- Baker the ropes because – um, you know, Case Keenum is a good example. Maybe a Chase Daniel. Uh, Josh McCown's not playing anymore. I, I just cannot see uh, him coming back. You even hear, I think you hear about uh, Andrew Hawkins and Joe Thomas on the on the Tomahawk pod or whatever that he's, they've said it multiple times or whatever, where he's like, no, he's he's not coming back. And those guys are, you know, some of his best friends or whatever. So I, I kind of trust that, but um, yeah, Case Keenum would be, a, I think, a really good fit, mainly because of obviously the obvious connection to St- Kevin Stefanski when when Keenum was in Minnesota, um, and under under Stefanski's you know uh, guide as a QB coach, uh, he had the number eight overall grade uh, at the quarterback position. His P- his WAR, his PFF WAR was a two point oh nine, which is uh, you know wins above replacement. So he was a fantastic quarterback in twenty seventeen. A lot of that was kind of was not really stable in terms of what he was able to do, but still um, that's a player that obviously would know the, have a good fit with the head coach. Um, and, but you know, the, the chase Daniel, you know, that, that is intriguing as well, just because he's all, he's been there for a long time, but I really think you're right. You need to bring in somebody that can help guide Baker in the right way to that's in that room 
that has had success and knows the personality of the coach um, and how can basically kind of maybe groom him. And then if, he, if Baker ever does go down or or it's just not working at all, somebody you can trust to come in there and play. Uh, I mean, the thing is, if Baker's not successful or whatever, though, um, you know, the and and it's the season's lost, and you man, it's like, man, we got to move on from this guy, which nobody hopes that's the case. Uh, you probably don't want to bring in somebody that's actually good and wins you games uh, like Case Keenum can, because then you're probably wanting to get a high, really high draft pick, so you can get the quarterback of your of your choosing in that year. But um, obviously, nobody nobody ho- hopes for that type of case, and you want to bring in somebody. Your your focus should be bringing in somebody that can help Baker, and I think Case Keenum can be that guy. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I just don't know where it's going to go. I think people have a good feeling about Baker. I I have a good feeling too. Sounds like you do too. But um, you know, with with what they're going to invest in this roster, what we think they're going to invest in this roster, uh, if if things go sort of uh, poorly, which they could, it's plausible. They 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 have to have somebody that they feel that they can throw in there. I mean, going into year four, uh, let, let me ask you this: if if things don't go well for Baker, say he plays. Same kind of year this year has twenty touchdowns, seventeen, eighteen interceptions. Well, let me, I guess let me phrase it this way: What? How bad does Baker have to be to not get a year four? Because I, I think all of these guys get a year four. He's the first overall pick. They're going to get a fourth year um, in a franchise, just with the way the rookie contract goes. You can get rid of them before the fifth year option. But like, I, am I right in thinking like the guy's going to get a fourth year no matter what? Unless I guess he throws. 20 more interceptions and touchdowns? I don't know. Where are you? I mean, am I wrong in that thing? I, I don't know how, how, like, the logistics of that stuff will go, but, like, like if he doesn't have... Like, so, like, last year, his grade was a 73.5, which was, like, I, I don't have the, the rankings right in front of me, but they were... It was, like, more middle of the pack. And it wasn't it wasn't as bad as, like, the passer rating was, like like, bottom two or three in the NFL. It wasn't his season wasn't as bad as that. There was a lot that went wrong last year, and it was you know a coaching issue, pe- players running the wrong routes. Um, nothing went right in that season. But Baker's, you know, Baker I think was a lot better than people think he was. But obviously he still wasn't great, right? Like so, a seventy three point five is a is above average grade. It's like a slightly above average grade. Um, so like he was still making plays. Uh, but he just supplemented. He just wasn't making as many, you know, uh, positive grades as he you had in the past, and he upped his his negatively graded rate a little bit too, um, which, you know, with how everything was around him, kind of makes sense. Uh, if you look at his first three quarters, you know, through you know, in in all the games when he was playing in rhythm, uh, he had an, he had almost a 90, 90.0 grade, one of the tops in the NFL. So he's a guy I think that. When you can get things right around him, and and which should happen this year, he's going to be fine. So like, I don't even like, I don't know how the logistics of it would work out. Where like, if he he somehow went from a, like last year and went worse, and then what they would do, um, I I don't I don't even know. Like, I guess you've seen, you know, first round, uh, t- you know, picks get cut after three years and stuff like that. But uh, a first overall pick, I've, I've don't think I've ever seen that. I think they, I think they, uh, as a, I think they would ride him for another year or something. I, I really don't know how they, how they would handle it. Yeah. I, I just don't, I, I think we're stuck. I guess the term stuck with Baker for another two years. Like that's, that's where it's Maybe. going. I mean, they could trade him. Sure. I mean, if, if, sure. You know, if they, especially if they have a top five pick or whatever, because the season went so badly, 
I just don't see that happening. I, I don't think that's in the realm of possibility. I think that's on the uh, the the skinny tail of, of things that happen in this season. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I just think I think I think Browns fans don't need to worry about that. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't invoke panic. I just uh, I just want to make sure that like I threw that out. Like he's here for four years. You're gonna you're gonna get it. Whether this year goes as swimmingly as we hope it does. Um, or not. I think he's here for four years, so we'll deal with quarterback later. But I think they need to improve, if they can, without breaking the bank and can keep it justifiable. Improving that backup role is important this year. And, um, you know, we'll go from there. I, I, this is meant to be a positive thing. They, they have a quarterback that can get them, um, you know, can get them to places. I, 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 Baker's been the best quarterback that already has been the best quarterback they've had here I, I post 99 I mean I can't, I can't yeah. see Der- Derek Anderson had one good Dude. year but it was a fluke and it was it wasn't even as good as you know it's it's I don't think it's debatable he's the best guy they've had here he should be the best guy they've had here since 99 because uh, you know he's the first overall pick and he's not coming into an expansion franchise and I think things will get better I don't think it'll be as bad as last year they have to improve the, the guys around him a little bit maybe is there anybody John that you are eyeing as maybe like a late Late guy, they don't, they won't draft a quarterback, but like an undrafted free agent type that catches your eye. Maybe there's not. I'm throwing this at you blindly, but anybody you think um, they might bring in? Uh, Jamar Smith out of FAU, maybe. Um, I, I think he's probably a guy that might be a, an undrafted guy that could be could be picked up, uh, graded out really well, athletic guy, um, can throw it, has a good good arm, so uh, developmental you know, prospect or whatever, I think. So I, I like, I like him. I think he's a good player. Another, uh, there's another player I can't even think of. I think his, um, he went to the, he went to the shrine game, played in the shrine game. Uh, God, what is his name? I, I don't even remember. So put him on the mind. spot. We'll put him put on the him spot. On. It's okay. Right. He gave us a name. That's impressive <laughs> enough. He gave us a name. Look, th- this is probably one of the more boring positions in this whole, you know, rotation through the, how the Browns improve. It's, it's the least discussed, I guess, discussable position because all it is is adding a backup quarterback. But, you know, we, we've talked about Baker at nauseum. We know what we need from him. He's got to work harder. He's got to commit himself in a way that we we probably did not see in year two. And hopefully he's doing that. Hopefully he'll keep doing that. Town is there. The arm town is there. The scheme will be there to help him. So we hope those things improve. We'll pay close attention to who they bring in to work with him as a backup and uh, prepare him for the season, but he's got better coaches around him, so we should all feel good. John, thanks for giving me some time, man. We will we'll almost certainly bring John on one more time before the season and then in season two because I like to catch up on how the Browns are doing. So, um, you know, follow John if you're not. John, appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.